Welcome to Immigration Nerds. This podcast is for everyone seeking the details, context, and facts behind the banner headlines on immigration. It's the podcast that gives you the latest on immigration policy and politics and the real world impacts on the people and businesses that make our world turn. If you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. Brought to you by the nerds at Erickson Immigration Group, guiding clients and their employees through the complex immigration system for over 20 years. Hello, immigration nerds. I'm Lauren Clark, senior attorney at Erickson Immigration Group. I am a fellow nerd, an immigrant, and host of this amazing podcast. On every episode, we're joined by the smartest nerds in the know as we cut their trends in business, culture, technology, and politics at the intersection of global immigration. Today, we are taking a deep dive into the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, or DACA. Created during the Obama administration to protect eligible young adults who were brought to the U.S. as children from deportation and to provide them with work authorization for temporary renewable periods, Last Wednesday, a federal judge in Texas once again ruled that DACA is unlawful. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll get analysis and context from our special guest, Jeremy McKinney, from the American Immigration Lawyers Association. But first, a quick conversation with my trusty producer, Adam Velma. Hi, Lauren. Hey, Adam. It's so nice to have you back on the mic. Why, thank you. I've got some history to share with all our nerds listening today. You might not be aware, but National Hispanic Heritage Month is happening right now. And it's celebrated annually from September 15th to October 15th to recognize and celebrate the contributions and influence of Hispanic Americans to the history, culture, and achievements of the United States. And let me give you a little bit of history here, Lauren. National Hispanic Heritage Week was established by legislation sponsored by Representative George Brown Jr. of Los Angeles, California, and signed into law by President Lyndon Johnson in 1968. In 1988, the commemorative week was expanded to a month by legislation sponsored by Representative Esteban Torres of California, amended by Senator Paul Simon of Illinois, and signed into law by President Ronald Reagan. Wow, Adam, I I did not know that. Well, I've got more. It's interesting to note that September 15th, which is the beginning of this month-long celebration, was chosen as the starting point because it's the anniversary of the Cry of Dolores, which occurred in Dolores, Mexico, in 1810, when Roman Catholic priest Miguel Hildago y Costilla rang his church bell and gave the call to arms that triggered the Mexican War of Independence. Now, the cry of Dolores is most commonly known by the locals as El Grito de Independencia. And this 30-day period also includes many dates of importance in the Hispanic community, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, celebrate their anniversary of independence on September 15th. That is truly fascinating. Adam, if I know you, I bet you also have information to share about Hispanic Heritage Month events. Oh, indeed I do. Our links are down in the show notes, but knowing me, I'm going to point everybody to the Smithsonian Institution. They're hosting 
Hispanic Heritage Month events in Washington, D.C. that include resources, exhibitions, and podcasts. And nerds, you should know, the Smithsonian is building the National Museum of the American Latino to recognize the accomplishments, history, and culture of the Latino communities. And Lauren, as I say, we've got links and details in our show notes for everybody. Excellent. Thank you so much, Adam. And now for an in-depth discussion about deferred action for childhood arrivals and the deportation protection and work permits it provides to nearly 600,000 enrollees. Joining us to help explain the issue is a certified fresh immigration nerd, Jeremy McKinney, an immigration lawyer in North Carolina and the immediate past president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. Jeremy, welcome to the Immigration Nerds Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Jeremy, let's start with the latest news. Last week, Texas-based U.S. District Court Judge Andrew Hannon found that a regulation issued last year by the Biden administration did not remedy legal deficiencies that led him to find DACA unlawful in 2021. Jeremy, how should everyone listening understand Judge Hannon's ruling and what are the immediate ramifications for DREAMers? Well, I want to start with the sticking point for our DACA recipients, which is that the status quo remains the same. So I want to start there. Uh, despite the fact that this is now the second time that Judge Hanen has found the DACA program to be illegal, what has remained in place is a stay of that ruling that permits individuals that already have DACA to continue renewing DACA. And the benefits that flow from that, which include employment authorization and travel permission, as long as that permission is obtained in advance. And so it's important that our 600,000 plus DACA recipients understand that, that they can still uh, have those benefits while the legal challenges continue. That definitely is the most important thing, I think, to start with, especially for all of our listeners out there who either are in DACA or may know someone who has DACA. If we look back to understand how we kind of got to this second decision on DACA, can you tell us a little bit more about the 2021 ruling by Judge Hannon that essentially started the current appeals process? Yes, there is a group of Republican-led states almost immediately sued the Obama administration over this DACA policy. And it is a policy. That's important to note. The reason for the legal challenges is that this is executive action and not something that stemmed from legislation. So it's not something that stemmed from Congress. And the crux of the Republican state's challenge is that this policy, this executive action is ultra virus. It's beyond the scope of the president's power, the agency's power. That theory can be encapsulated into a, a doctrine that the Supreme Court calls the major questions doctrine. And it's relevant here because that is what Judge Hanen has cited both times. Now, why do I say both times? Because you had the Obama policy that was put out in 2012. The Trump administration, Donald Trump, attempted to terminate that policy during his four years in office, that yielded a legal challenge. And ultimately, the Supreme Court ruled 
in a decision written by Chief Justice Roberts that the Trump administration did not go about the termination policy in a way that was consistent with law. So the ironic thing is that you have Republican states challenging the DACA policy is unlawful when ultimately the Supreme Court found that the termination of said policy was unlawful. So that resuscitated, that revived the DACA policy. By the way, meanwhile, the number of DACA recipients went from about 800,000 down to about 600,000. So during the Trump years, you automatically had a sizable group of individuals that decided for whatever reason not to renew their benefits. Maybe they thought they couldn't, whatever, but they didn't. Those numbers have gone down. Now, because of the ensuing legal challenges to the original 2012 policy, the Biden administration went through the formal rulemaking process under the Administrative Procedures Act, or APA. And after going through what's called notice and comment, the Biden administration issued a regulatory DACA. So at first you had a DACA program that was based off of a memo uh, issued by the Secretary of Homeland Security. The Biden version is part of our federal regulations, and that was promulgated. And then that was immediately challenged by the same set of states. And this ruling is the first on the new version of DACA, Biden's version of DACA. And so uh, underscoring all of this is now that the regulatory concerns have been taken care of, addressed, now these judges have gone back to the original principle, which is, well, forget the administrative bureaucratic part of this. Uh, We just don't think the executive branch had the express authority of Congress to do something this expansive. And so Judge Hainan found the new program illegal. Now that will go to the Fifth Circuit. We'll see what panel is drawn for that. But ultimately, I think the Supreme Court will have the final say. And that kind of comes back to something that you identified really early in this part. Is the major questions doctrine that's leading us to question DACA born out of an original presidential executive order. Can you shed some light on what exactly is the major questions doctrine and why is it important in this case? Yes. Basically, the first time that it was formally articulated in a Supreme Court opinion was just in 2022. So pretty recently in a case called West Virginia versus EPA. It's an environmental case uh, that was addressing the EPA's clean power plan. In a decision written by Chief Justice Roberts, he basically stated that in certain extraordinary cases where there's reason to doubt that uh, Congress authorized a particular action, then the agency has to point to clear congressional authorization before the agency can actually take that action. And so... That has been used to strike down agency action. Several COVID restrictions were uh, struck down in the name of the major questions doctrine by the Supreme Court. Most recently, the Biden administration's plan to forgive up to $20,000 worth of student loan debt was struck down by the Supreme Court using the major questions doctrine. And so 
It's a very powerful doctrine that, in my view, very questionable validity. And so we will see, because I think that this case ultimately by the Supreme Court will come down to its reading of the major questions doctrine and exactly what the chief justice was talking about when he said in certain extraordinary cases. And then that's going to lead, I think, into a very interesting appeals progression for DACA. As you mentioned, as we look ahead to what possibly the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals might do or even ending up in the Supreme Court, do you foresee or I guess can you predict when this question might come before the U.S. Supreme Court for their consideration? My best guess would be the 2024-2025 term, the one that begins on October 1st, 2024. I think the Fifth Circuit will dispose of its step on DACA uh, this coming year, late 2023, early 2024. And so with that kind of time frame in mind and understanding, as you very clearly explained, DACA has had ongoing legal challenges over its decade and a bit that it's been in place. For the dreamers out there, what might they need to consider doing from a compliance and legal perspective, considering that they may feel like they're in limbo as of now? Two things. Uh, number one, uh, renew early and often. I realize that it costs just the filing fee is currently $495. uh, And that is for a two-year work permit. And the earlier you renew, the more you cut into that two years because they'll begin the next grant uh, when they adjudicate the renewal application. But I would caution DACA recipients out there that adjudication times, they are inconsistent. Sometimes it's really quick. Sometimes it's prolonged. And so I still encourage my clients to renew at least six months out, just in case. Take advantage of that. Secondly, explore uh, with a qualified immigration attorney your options, because sometimes those options exist and the person does not realize it. Uh, So, for example, that person may have been the beneficiary of an uncle's petition 20 years ago for one of their parents. That's a type of application that for a person born in Mexico can be pending, can be in line for 22, 23, 24 years, as crazy as that sounds. But it's there. And that that person who's now an adult may not even realize that Uh, They were sponsored back then. And so that's something that we look into. Military service of a parent may impact a person. A marriage to a U.S. citizen may impact that person's ability to obtain residency. Uh, And so there are lots of different possible ways for individuals. And so having that discussion and taking that journey with an immigration attorney could be the difference in escaping this program. Definitely an important thing to note. And and those two avenues kind of leads us into two areas to explore. First one, ensuring that individuals who currently hold DACA timely renew their status. As you had indicated earlier, when we've seen legal challenges before, the number of people that were in the program almost halved to the current numbers. 
And if you don't timely renew, then your ability to get back into the program would simply be to apply as a new applicant. And with the current status, that avenue is not available. So timely renewing, not following through with that can have a devastating impact to your ability to continue your DACA status. For those in that category who either don't timely renew or even looking at the challenge that came in 2021, I understand that there was a number of people that are kind of still in the limbo who had submitted the necessary paperwork and paid the required $495 fee, but yet have to be processed because of the current, I guess, status where they're barring those new applicants. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And those applicants have not received a refund of that filing fee. And many of those individuals hired an attorney to prepare that application. And so they're out that legal fee, they're out that filing fee, and they have not received the benefit. I would hope that as courts are considering these legal challenges, that they think about the the contours of the stay on the final order and, uh, you know, perhaps authorize USCIS to not accept those applications, but process them. They already have them. And so if we turn to the second option, which is if you can legalize, take those steps and generally with the help of counsel, I think that falls in line with where the gauntlet has been thrown. Judge Hayden was very clear in stating that the deficiencies of DACA lie with the legislator. It's not the executive or judicial branch. That is his push. So does Congress have a proposed solution to this issue? Yes. As a matter of fact, All of this, the DACA program itself, stems from the legislative solution, and that is called the DREAM Act. Uh, Now, DREAM stands for Development, Relief, and Education for Alien Minors Act, or DREAM. It was first proposed in 2001, 22 years ago, and it was introduced by Orrin Hatch of Utah, a Republican senator, and Dick Durbin of Illinois, a Democrat senator. It has always been bipartisan. It is introduced every year in a bipartisan way. It has actually uh, come close to passage a couple of times, uh, most meaningfully uh, during the George W. Bush administration when we had another one of those gangs that got together to try to pass comprehensive immigration reform, uh, came pretty close but did not beat the filibuster and did not happen. Uh, And so it continues to be out there. DACA was created to be a stopgap to provide some relief from the stress of having a deportation hanging over your head, from not having the ability to work, from not having the legal ability to potentially go to school or afford school to just provide some relief for that while we waited for the DREAM Act to pass. But here we are, it's 2023 still. uh, It has not even come close to a vote in the last few years. At some point, this policy will end. Maybe it will end from the courts. Maybe it will end with administration that understands how to terminate it correctly. But It will end. And so then what do you do with these? I'd like to say young people, but can we even say that anymore? 
I have DACA recipients that are not only parents, but are early grandparents. And so it just needs to be addressed. I think everyone agrees that ultimately this is a legislative solution that needs to happen. But the text of the proposal, the solution is already there. And that's an important call out is when we refer to DACA, it, it generally was thinking about kids. It was children who had been brought to the U.S. and obviously an additional eligibility criteria. But the average DACA recipient is probably between 25 to 30 years old, even some heading into their early 40s. Some of these individuals are parents to U.S. citizen children. They are working, they're paying taxes, they're contributing to the economy, and they're part of the fabric of U.S. communities. So the value, or I guess the importance of DACA, as you mentioned, we, we likely might see something in the Supreme Court, but as we go into an election year, DACA has always been a hot button topic. Do you think that we can get there in legalizing or providing a legal avenue for DACA recipients? I do. And I want to gently push back on thinking that DACA is a hot button issue because I don't think it is. I think the overall concept of providing a path to legalization for uh, the millions of people that are in the United States without proper immigration documentation That's a hot button issue. But their children, the ones that got here before they were 16 and have firmly rooted into our communities and given so much more than they have received, I don't think that's a hot button issue. I think that most polls would show that somewhere between 70 and 80 percent of Americans support legalizing this group of individuals. Immigration nerd extraordinaire, Jeremy McKinney, thank you so much for joining us on the Immigration Nerds podcast today. Thank you. And to all you nerds out there listening, thank you. As ever, you can track everything going on at Erickson Immigration Group at our website, eiglaw.com. And remember, if you believe immigration makes us all better, then this is the podcast for you. 